Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for $2.49 a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. We had a, I don't know that I would call it a rampage shooting. I think we sort of had a passion shooting or something happening in Atlanta. And they have caught the suspect, 24-year-old Dion Patterson. He uh, shot five women, then he stole a pickup truck and fled into nearby Cobb County. And after a manhunt, they took him into custody. And, uh, you know, according to the press, the people of Atlanta were able to exhale. Now, his mother says that he got some bad medication or the wrong medication from the VA, which I'm not here to dispute what that lady says. And he was in a waiting room at a Northside Hospital Medical Midtown Clinic on the 11th floor. Then he pulled out a revolver and began to fire. He injured four women and killed one, 38-year-old Amy St. Pierre, an employee with the CDC. And the un, the injured women ranged in age from 25 to 71 years old. His mom, uh, her name is Minnie One, she blames the VA. She said the damn VA gave him some messed up medication and all he wanted was an Ativan, which is medication for seizures. She hung up, hung up on one reporter with the Daily Beast and she was a bit more discreet with Zach Summers at Atlanta News First. She said, first and foremost, I want to give my sincere, sincere to the uh, families that were injured and killed. My son was always a protector. No one that would hurt anybody. Not even in his time of need. He was still trying to help others. And this is just a person he's always been. A happy, beautiful child. Always. He doesn't know right now. Please, this mental illness is real. And when we say it's real, from the medical standpoint, it is real. And when someone is saying they need help or you see they're acting out of sorts, they need help. Help them. Just don't disregard them. They need help. And as I'm trying to advocate for my son, he was turned away. Just be careful. And I don't know. Dion Patterson's sister, Whitney Code, told the New York Times that her brother was not mentally stable since leaving the Coast Guard earlier this year. She also added he'd been struggling to perform basic tasks and had gone to the medical clinic on Wednesday to get help. He was joyful, funny, but after he came home, he stopped talking to others, stopped eating, interacting with people. But she had no other insight. She said, I know as much as you know. So here we have an incident where we can actually pull apart the details of this and try to figure out what has happened to this this individual. Because clearly there were some things involved in this. Possibly medication, <clears throat> definitely mental health. And uh, are they paying any attention to this? What's what's happening with this incident? Isn't it sort of being, first of all, 
it goes against the narrative, right? It goes completely against the narrative because it's a black man with a revolver. Not a white guy with an AR-15. The dead victim in this particular shooting was a white woman. And the weapon was a pistol. And this is not the type of article that the media likes to flog to you on a daily basis because it is not pushing the narrative. And the narrative is the problem. Matty Glacius of Bloomberg, he tweeted out, too many violent in the United States for each one to be national news story, but we really don't have a clear principle basis for deciding which one gets that coverage. But Wilford Riley, an associate press professor of political science at Kentucky State University, pushed back. <clears throat> Excuse me. He says, statistically, white on black violent crime or police on black violent crime gets 10 times the coverage of anything else. There really is a very simple and clear pattern. <clears throat> Excuse me. And before the Atlanta police announced the arrest of Patterson, Leland Vitter at News Nation reported on the media by surrounding the Texas shooter as an example. He said, uh, these are not the droids you are looking for. So for the AP, it's more important to report that, you know, the Texas shooter, or a Paisa, slaughtered five people with an AR-15. Not that he had been deported four times. And on Wednesday evening, the New York Times followed up with five feature stories on gun violence in America. One of them was entitled, A Partial List of U.S. Mass Shootings in 2023. Now, according to the New York Times at this particular minute, there have been 188 mass shootings in the United States to date. And this is uh, May the 6th. (laughs) One of the mass shootings they cite, only one of them, the shooting of a family in Goshen, California, was at the hands of a drug cartel. The only school shooting they mentioned was the Covenant School incident in Nashville, Tennessee. Even there, though, they failed to mention the shooter was a, wanted to be a trans man with a grudge because of the narrative, you know. <clears throat> but they never mentioned that in Chicago, for example, 56 people died in the month of April. No. Often from gang violence, the Windy City Butcher's Bill includes uh, 48 blacks, 5 Hispanics, and 3 whites or others. 10 of the dead were teenagers along with one child under 12. It's estimated that a person is shot in Chicago approximately every three hours. Where's the media on this one? Always a wall on the urban gang violence, of course. These are not the droids you are looking for. So, if, if you're looking at the basic recap of what happened... Black military veteran goes into clinic, shoots up clinic. One person dies, a white woman. And uh, let's see if they're going to sweep this under the rug. Now, it's not for us to decide how the media comports themselves, right? What it is up to us is we have to take these incidents and we have to break them down in our own heads. And we, we have to hope that somebody out there is breaking them down and looking what could have been done to prevent it. And what precipitated it with this person. Then the other thing that we have to just simply accept, as bad as this is, that the only way to deal with this is to be in a defensive posture. Because, you know, 
we have normalized mental health issues. It's a trendy thing now. It's trendy to have a mental health issue. And if you want to get noticed, go shoot somebody. And then all of your anguish can be called out and you can be, you can be, you can be turned into the victim of, you know, of the atrocity that you just perpetrated. So that's what they got going on. That's what they always have going on. And in the interim, one thing to consider is that this is not in keeping with the narrative. The narrative is all important because the narrative is all, they control the media. So by with them controlling the media, what they also think is that they control the information. So the information they don't want you to get is what's happening in Chicago and the fact that they're doing nothing about it. The thing they want you to get is the atrocities that happen outside of the urban areas. And the fact that it happens outside of an urban area doesn't make it any more or less atrocious. It just means that they're using it to advance an agenda. However, the agenda is based upon a false premise. That's always the thing to take into account. It is always based on a false premise. So, Going forward, as you examine all of these things that you see happening and all these things that you see being put in front of you, in front of the news and everything, you have to take a moment and you have to take a breath and then just look at it with a very critical eye. You have to pull it apart. You have to examine it. You have to see what they're doing. And you have to find the part where they're saying, these are not the droids that you are looking for. Because when that when you figure that part out, then you have figured out the biggest the biggest part of the lie. Which is we're not doing any really we, we're not interested in really doing anything about this. This is just so we can be in control of you. That's all we're looking for. We'll be right back. This is Gun Owners News Hour. Goodness, I tried to clear my throat during that break. Goodness gracious. Didn't work. Democrat cities have got a problem that is becoming sort of difficult to ignore. They have a serious violent crime problem. They have an even bigger homicide problem. And crime is rising, but... The biggest increases are coming in these Democrat-run cities. The sole exception to the cities with the highest growth in homicide comes from the Dallas suburb of Garland, Texas. But Garland's prosecutor of Dallas County DA, John Cruzot, won his last election thanks in large part to a $400,000 contribution from George Soros. Memphis... 
New Orleans, Baltimore, St. Louis, and Detroit, all been run by mayors who despise gun owners while bending over backwards to excuse and collar criminals. And they all have Soros-funded prosecutors. So in other words, prosecutors who prosecute the law-abiding for fighting back while undercharging or turning loose violent criminals time after time. And at the same time, these mayors of these hellhole cities advocate for endless gun control for the little people, working to ensure that, you know, the most vulnerable citizens are easy prey for predators, oftentimes ignoring those same laws themselves. And we get this from the Epoch Times. Uh, Cities governed by Democrat mayors have seen the largest increases in homicide rates over the past year as well as register the highest homicide rate per capita in quarter one out of 45 cities, according to a new report. Homicide rates in 45 of the most populated American cities rose by approximately 10% on average between quarter one 2021 and quarter one 2023 and continue to rise, according to an April 26 report by Wallet Hub. Blue cities were found to have a higher increase in homicide rates compared to red cities. The report designated a city's blue or red based on the mayor's political affiliation. The top five cities that saw the greatest increase in per capita homicide are Richmond, Virginia, Memphis, Tennessee, Durham, North Carolina, Garland, Texas, and Washington, D.C. And except for Garland, where Mayor Scott LeMay is a Republican, the remaining four cities have mayors who are affiliated with the Democratic Party. The highest homicide rate per capita in the first quarter of 2023 was in Memphis at 14.19 per 100,000. New Orleans came in second at 12.76, followed by Baltimore with 10.47, St. Louis, Missouri with 9.91, and Detroit with 8.52. Now, a guy named Greg W. Etter, a professor at the Department of Criminal Justice at the University of Central Missouri, blamed this tendency on politicians to seek simplistic one-size-fits-all solutions to complex problems as the reason behind the spike in homicides across the nations. Politicians come up with this nonsense in order to please, you know, to curry favor with political interest groups during elections. Uh, and uh, when faced with the issue of police using force on in isolated instances, they might support defunding the police rather than dealing with problematic officers. This ends up resulting in a less effective police force, higher response times, lower morale among officers, and an increasing unwillingness to engage in proactive policing. And this has left many police forces in a strictly reactive mode, only responding to the crimes that have already occurred. So, in other words, you are on your own. So, if it's up to you to protect yourself, then you need to tool up, people. You need to learn how to use your weapon and the rules of the road for the use of force and self-defense and be prudent. You know, you, you get yourself some sort of self-defense insurance coverage from U.S. Law Shield or Armed Citizens Legal Defense Network or, uh, you know, Second Call Defense. You're going to want that because with this sort of a decision that you're going to make, uh, well, consequences arrive with that. And, you you know, if if things happen. 
And we've seen this play out in a couple of cases. We're seeing it play play out right now. And it didn't involve a gun, but it's up in New York with that uh, Neely kid who got choked to death. But it was a self-defense. It was a self-defense action to begin with. I don't know how they're looking at it now. In any event. Nobody's coming. We're going to shift and go to North Carolina. In North Carolina, they had something named Freedom to Carry North Carolina. And that has stalled in, uh, in, in, in the process because the NRA reportedly came out in opposition of the bill. NRA lobbyist DJ Spiker, who had been absent from the debate over permitless concealed carry, showed up at the Judiciary 2 Committee meeting, which passed HB 189 on Tuesday and began to complain about the bill's contents. So to satisfy the requirement to move the bill, the latest incarnation of HB 189 contains a nominal training requirement to establish that concealed carry is no relevant state law. There will be no permit, no live fire training, no requirement to carry proof of training, nor any central repository or database of who or who not, has not taken a course. Spiker reportedly complained to bill sponsor Keith Kidwell that due to the training requirement, it was no longer a true constitutional carry bill. And it, is, it has always been a hybrid bill that offered permitless carry only to those who would otherwise qualify for a permit. This, the pregenitor to this stretches back to 26, 2017. And what the NRA is really objecting to here, which they could have done many times in the past, could be dis- best described as not invented here syndrome. Namely, they couldn't claim credit for a bill that it has not participated in crafting. And what Spiker seems to avoid mentioning is that this represents a huge step forward by elim- eliminating governmental permission slips. But, uh, you know, he's quoted as making the laughable claim that the NRA will never apologize for refusing to compromise on an issue as critical as constitutional carry. They have a very long history of compromise with the NRA. Now, this was moving along, but instead this guy swoops in at the last minute like a vulture. He deposited a large load of dung onto the efforts of the activists who were actually getting things done. And it isn't dead yet. It's been referred back to the Rules Committee in order to add a fiscal note, which would make it immune to the May 4th crossover deadline by which bills must clear at least one chamber to remain alive. But meanwhile, you got to look at what's happening right now and say to yourself, why did NRA come in and help kill this bill? Why would they do that? I have an opinion of that. I will tell you what that opinion is when we get back. This is Gun Owners News Hour.
right, welcome back. This is Lock and Load. I'm talking about what just happened in North Carolina with the NRA. Now, I know the NRA just got done having their annual meeting in Indianapolis. I understand that. The NRA's got issues. I understand those. Uh, part of that is that I refer to them as the cult of Wayne. I know a lot of people that will not go to the NRA meetup anymore. A lot of people go to it just to see people there, not necessarily to do any NRA business. But they were talking about in in, uh, in my last uh, in my last go around there. They were talking about how the NRA really doesn't like it if it's not their idea, and that's interesting to me. That's really interesting to me because the part of that. That makes it an issue means that if it's something that you come to them with that they can't claim credit for, they won't consider it. Now, this is not a new thing, and I don't, I don't, I'm not even sure that this is an NRA thing. I saw this a lot with Ackerman McQueen. I got a look at how they do a operation. And the way they do an operation is impressive. So if you're in media, you would want to be involved in something like that. But the problem was, as impressive as their operation was, nobody was actually seeing it. You would go, the only time you would actually see it would be like if you went to, uh, if you went to an NRA meetup, they would have center stage out there. Ackerman McQueen would have NRA TV. And I, th- I don't know if this was annually or not, but there was this figure of $42 million dollars floating around in 2019 as to what they had paid. And they were they, they had hired a bunch of people, and, you know, Coleo Noir was one of them, and uh, some some guy named Lassort or something he was, and Dana Lash was uh, the spokesperson, and she was actually paid and re- retained by, uh, by NRA. And Oliver North, when he was the president of the NRA, he was an Ackerman McQueen employee. So... I often wondered who who was actually pushing this if it's not our idea thing. Now, the problem with that is sometimes people come to you with really, really good ideas. And if they come to you with it, what they're doing is they're saying, I would like to implement this with you. And the NRA, for, I mean, I, I saw it time and again. NRA, when they decided to do carry guard, for example, NRA... One of the uh, members of the board, Sean Maloney, he he owns, still owns to this day, a company uh, called Second Call Defense. And what he wanted to do is he wanted to sell it. He and his partner wanted to sell it. And when NRA was talking about carry guard, what they wanted to do was they wanted to sell Second Call Defense to them with their membership and their underwriting and everything else they had in place, sell that to NRA and let them take it over. Well, members of the board apparently objected to them spending the money to buy it from Sean Maloney, who it was his business, rightfully owned it. So instead, they uh, they they snatched their underwriters out from them, under them. At the same time, they had just gone to USCCA, which I'm not a member of and would not be a member of, but they had gone to USCCA and they'd basically figured out their template for a membership to USCCA. So they mimicked the template of USCCA. They stole 
When they stole the underwriters, they basically stole the membership of Second Call Defense because everybody was paying for a service that Second Call Defense was supposed to be supplying, but now they were paying the same guys, but those guys were somewhere else. It was like the, the underwriters upped, and I, I believe it was called Locked In Affinity at the time. And then, you know, there was Carry Guard. And that, that year that I went, Carry Guard was literally everywhere. It was, it was obnoxiously bad. And when the NRA did it, when they started running it, what they turned it into was they turned it into this thing where uh, all of a sudden... Um, It was getting noticed. Now, these kind of services have existed for a very long time. They started calling this murder insurance. And see, Second Call Defense had a presence in New York State and in California and in Maryland and in and in uh, you know in in Illinois and in New Jersey. All of these anti gun states that you can think of, they already had a presence there. But because they were not the NRA, nothing happened. Nobody said anything about it. So. They went after NRA Carry Guard out of New York saying it was they, they were selling insurance without a license. Which what they what they were doing was not selling an insurance, it was more of a legal plan. But it was insurance in the event that you shoot somebody. Now I have my own uh, my my own uh, <laughs> my own opinion about these services. I think they probably have a very, very big Big role to play if you ever do shoot somebody. But at the same time, looking at it and considering it, I just sit back and I'm like, I, uh, how often do people shoot people in self-defense that might be members of these organizations? How many people actually get tried? Now, yes, if you actually do get tried, something like that would come in handy. So it really comes down to what you think and what you think about yourself and what you think about your likelihood. I don't go places that bad people frequent. So I don't actually carry any of that. But that's all of this is beside the point. It wasn't the NRA's, it wasn't their idea. So instead of paying for somebody else's idea, they decided to steal it. And I've seen this time and again with other little things here and there. And that really, that's the most spiteful thing I've ever seen coming out of an organization that's supposed to be a civil rights organization. If we didn't think of it, it's no good. That's basically what they're telling you. If we didn't think about it, it's no good. So, <laughs> that's what you have. And if they're doing that and they're torpedoing activists in their state... They really have, I mean, that's, they don't need to be involved in that. I mean, that has happened here in my state of South Carolina as well. I just don't have the documentation for it. They, they were considering this a couple of weeks ago here, and the NRA people that showed up, well, they sort of, uh, they were very, very ineffective. I had to get with one senator and feed him some info and get him with Dr. John Lott to get him some sats. And now he actually has... Uh, some stuff to work with on this, but uh, beyond that, I don't know, really know what's going to go go on with that. I really don't. So,
you can't this rights fight is something that you can never give up on you can't quit you got to stay on the top of these politicians all the time but when you have a third party like the NRA rolling in and they want to get out there and whatever's going on is not good enough we this is what we want that's not useful that is not constructive that's not taking anybody anywhere anytime And yet, they're doing it repeatedly right now. As they're relevant, they, they have no relevance right now in my, in my view, in my, uh, the way I'm seeing things right now as far as what's coming out of their particular camp. Not really in much of nothing is going on with them. So, I don't know if they want to try to regain relevance by showing up at these, uh, these, these statewide, uh, considerations as everybody's trying to move into permitless carry. Whatever it is they're doing, is failing and we can't allow them to fail they, they they can't be allowed to come in and mess something up that it, the work is done they should not be allowed to do that and why the legislature i guess some of the legislature i guess some of the legislators on the left enjoy this they enjoy the infighting the bickering while we're bickering with them they're sitting back just going oh this bill's going to die no more permitless carry this year. And for them, it's always the next year. Kick it to the next year. We'll just keep fighting the fight until until there's until we're dead. Then who cares? We'll be right back. This is Gun Owners News Hour. is gun owners news hour you know i don't want to talk about politics anymore let's talk let's talk about mechanics let's talk about what you could use in your home for defense home defense is a big thing to me it's a big deal because home invasions happen a lot now i don't live in a place where it has is prominently known for home invasions that's not to mean that they could not happen here it happens home invasions happen everywhere they happen in the best of neighborhoods, and they happen in the worst of neighborhoods, and they happen everywhere in between. So ensuring your home be to be safe and the people inside it is probably your top priority. Part of that plan is going to involve a weapon, a firearm. And there's three types of weapons that I would employ the most as a home defense weapon. Now, home defense requires a weapon that is easy to maneuver in a tight space. As I have my lawn done. It is effective at stopping a threat quickly and easy to operate under a high-stress situation. Because the intruders may be armed as they're coming in. And therein lies the problem, is you're, you're going to be facing an armed, aggressive opponent who is determined... To come in, take your stuff, and possibly harm you on the way. So that's why it's important to choose the best gun for you for home defense that you're comfortable handling and can use effectively in a high-pressure situation. 
Now, the first thing you have to do is you got to look at your house and you got to look at your entry points. Like I have this one window that is basically the size of a door, and it's wide enough to drive a uh, what is it? That little uh, Fiat. It's it's almost the size of a car in width. That would be an easy point of entry if somebody really wants to come in. It also means that there's no cover for the most part in the main room at the bottom where in the living area and in the dining area that's wide open from that window the only thing that we have up is a is a curtain so they can't actually see what's going on inside so in my particular household i have a very easy way to get into the house so that means i have to have a very easy i I need to have something at hand in order to mount a defense if that's what it comes to you also need to get a clear understanding of your rights and your responsibilities. In my state, for example, there is no duty to retreat, and they have the castle doctrine. You have to, depending on if you have small children, you're going to want to figure out where you're going to keep your weapon. You're going to want to, you're going to, want to make sure that uh, the people around you, that live around you, either know how to handle it or don't have access to it. And if they don't know how to handle it, that's something that can be taught. They, they can learn that, but it's definitely something that needs to be taught. So, the proper handing, handling and safe handling of these are, are critical. That's a critical part of it. Then you got to think about, well, what kind of gun is this going to be? Now, if this is a center fire and it's a handgun, you basically have three common calibers with a few other calibers that come into play. For me, the three common calibers are 9mm, 45 ACP, and 10mm. Those are my three common calibers. Most people would say the first two at 357 Magnum or the first two in 40 cap, 40 Mag, 40 Smith and Wesson, and all these other things. And you, uh, you know, that's why I run three, 9mm mainly. I have, 10 millimeter I have a little bit of 45 ACP I got a lot of 9 millimeter so I run 9 millimeter and I run hollow points and I'm running a 147 grain subsonic load because I want it to be slow and I want it to hit and I want it to stick the reason that I've chosen a handgun is my primary means is because while I have a, and I have the other two types of weapons, we'll get to that, but the handgun is going to, going to afford me the most maneuverability. So, for me, my primary weapon in the house, when I'm in the house, is a Terran Tactical Glock 17. Now, it's not necessary that you have a highly massaged firearm as your primary firearm. I like the Glock 17 simply because I have trained with that size gun, that model gun, every time I've ever trained. Every class I've been to, except for one. I always keep coming back to it. I have recently got a couple of other guns that would be very, probably very good, like the uh, like the FN 509. That's probably a very good gun for, for home defense. The Smith & Wesson M&P 2.0. I just got one of those. Uh, the ergos from the for the grip on that gun I find to be very good. The, for the the way they did the slide is not very well thought out because there's not a lot of grippy surfaces on the slide. That could have been done better, but the trigger is a better and as far as the grip and everything, I, I believe it is an accurate gun when when it's under fire. There are other guns, of course. I mean, my carry gun is probably going to end up being a uh, Scotto CS. 
So a lot of things are going to come into, come into play. But handguns really come down to a matter of preference and what your personal ergonomic fit is. And it's going to be different strokes for different folks. There is no one-size-fits-all. Then there's shotguns. I own one shotgun. It is a Mossberg M88. <laughs> the cheapest shotgun they make, the $240 shotgun. I've seen it tested it time and time again. I've never run any tests on it or anything. As far as a shotgun goes, it is solid. It's not very fancy. It is not the, uh, of, you know, there's other shotguns that shoot better as far as the comfort and everything of the way the, the gun works. This one, for, for the price, it's very hard to beat, though. $249. I got the one with the seven-round uh, seven tube on it, so I have a very, but it's a very long shotgun. So when it comes to home defense, you'd probably want something a little shorter. The other day I was uh, filming with my friend Dewey at Dewey's, Dewey's Pawn Shop, and he pulled out a, uh, he, he showed me a stagecoach gun which is a double-barreled shotgun, but it's pretty short, and it's legal. It's long enough to be legal, so it's a 16-inch gun. But as far as shotguns go, it's pretty short, and I was just thinking, that'd be, that'd be a decent self-defense gun if you can reload it pretty quick. Then there's the center-fire rifle, and the problem with the center-fire rifle, while you may have a shorty like I do, I have a shorty, very maneuverable, but then you've got problems with over-penetration. So if you're involved in a gunfight inside your house, that may very well those rounds may very well escape your house. So what you're looking for is you're looking for something that you can control to the best of your ability. When when rounds start to fly, you sort of lose uh, that controllability, but it's it's all part and parcel of uh, the unfortunate happenstance of being in a home invasion and you're having to defend yourself. So. Those kind of things, and I'd be interested to know what you guys use. I mean, uh, I've heard very good things about, like, shotguns, the Mossberg 500, which I don't own. I've never owned one of those. The Remington 870, I have owned one of those. They're okay. I like them. I just think uh, certain shotguns, like, the next shotgun I get is going to be a semi-auto. I don't know why I want one. I just want one. And then as far as centerfire rifles, I'm not going to be looking at too many other centerfire rifles. The only thing that would make my handgun setup better would be if I decided to go with a uh, suppressor on one. And I have a uh, I have one gun with a threaded barrel that would take a suppressor, a CZ P07 given to me by a guy named Andy Hasek who listens to the show and uh, the, the, it's a beautiful shooting gun. I'm not gonna. It's not a gun I'm gonna carry because he carved on it and and, and did some engraving on it and everything. And it's a, you know, it, it's a gun somebody gave me, and I'm just I, I just don't want to abuse it because it's a good gun, and it was a marvelous gesture that I really appreciated. So, but that's the one gun I have with a threaded barrel. Getting a threaded barrel is no big deal. I could get one for the Glock, or I could get one for the M&PE, or or whatever I chose to get one for. But then you got to wait on it. But that's the only way a handgun, I think, is made better. But one thing to think about with any of this stuff, and this is, I don't ever hear anybody talking about this. Uh, you should get a pair of electric earmuffs, electric ear pro, and have with you. Because when you start shooting inside a house, you're going to lose your sense of hearing. You're not going to, it's not going to be present anymore. It's not going to be painful. It's just going to be gone. And it would be beneficial if you could somehow or other manage to keep it. That's all there is to it. And that's my two cents on that. Worth exactly what you just paid for it. I'll be back next weekend. Maybe the uh, the lawn guys won't be here. My apologies for that. Between now and then, remember this. Uh, carry your Carry your weapon everywhere you can.
be prepared to defend yourself. It's up to you. It's up to you. And uh, stay awake. Stay aware all the time. It, it is never going to be a. We're we're in a we're in a, a situation now today where you need to be always cognizant of what's going on around you. And as for the rest, well, this has been Gun Owners News Hour. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for two forty nine dollars a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today, or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.